Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. I have my friend Mez Bloom here today to talk about her book, Churchill Socks. Mez, before we begin, can you give us a quick summary of what Churchill Socks is about? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me, Beth. This is a dream come true as an avid listener of your podcast. I can't believe I'm really here with you. But you asked me to give a, a brief summary of Churchill's Socks. It is set on the World War II stage, particularly in the United Kingdom at the start of the Second World War. But it really zeroes in on one particular family, the Briscoe family, and how um, the war affects their world and their lives, and then zeroes in even further on one member of that family, which is Ivy Briscoe, a 13-year-old girl, and her siblings and her friends, and how they get swept up in the action of the war in ways that they never dreamed they would. And I'll, I'll stop there because I don't want to give away any spoilers. I've said before, it is such a good book, and I, I love it so much. I love the characters. It's It's excellent. Mez, what inspired you to write Churchill Socks? So first off, I love the era, the World mm -hmm. War II era. It just, to me, it almost feels like a time of epic fantasy, mm -hmm. just the heroism, also the attitude of, you know, keep calm, carry on. I just mm -hmm. admire that so much. And so there's just so much about that era and everyone got involved and it's just this epic story. And it obviously had a, a good ending but also particularly with this book, Gordon, my husband, happened to mention to me a documentary he had seen years ago. And his memories were very vague, but he remembered something about British resistance and how ordinary families had been drawn into this resistance movement so that if the Germans invaded, there would be this last level of resistance of these families, and including some children who would have this underground network and be able to sabotage the Nazis on their home turf. And so he just remembered that much really. Yeah. And that just struck my imagination. I thought, what, children, yeah. resistant spies? Okay, I've got to learn more. And then I couldn't rest until I dug up every little bit of detail that I could find. Do you know the name of that documentary? He was never able to find oh. it again. So I had to start from scratch. Oh, um, okay. There are There is a British resistance archive online. Oh. And if you look them up, they have a lot of YouTube videos. Oh a lot of snippets from different documentaries. So it's worth looking that up. BRA, British Resistance Archive, or Coles Hill House, if you want to learn more of the history. Oh, that's so exciting. And I'll, I'll be sure to put that in the show notes as well so that you can go and look that up. And I'll be looking that up too later on today. That was awesome. I shared in the Little Prince episode with Sophie how much I love the characters in the book, especially Teddy. How did you come up with these endearing characters? I'm so glad you love Teddy because <laughs> I love Teddy too. He he is a dear. You know, you hear authors talk about how their characters sort of introduce themselves mm -hmm. as real people. And I, I'd say for this book, more than any other I've written, 
the characters presented themselves. They were full-bodied, flesh-and-blood people Mm -hmm. really from the start, which made writing the book so much easier because it was like spending time with these real people that I loved. And I think part of the reason for that is that I did do a lot of research, and a lot of that research Mm. involved stories. It Mm. involved people's anecdotes and memories and memoirs. Some of those were, you know, live interviews and some were recordings and some were old diaries. And so I had all of these stories and these people in my mind to draw from. And then the character sort of formed out of out of that soup of of stories and people. So, yeah, I would say I had a lot of help from from real life with that. Oh, and again, my mom is a huge fan of Teddy as well. And I love Ivy. I love I love her. Along that same line, you might not be able to answer this, but which of the characters is your favorite? Do you have a favorite? Is it Teddy? Mm, that is such a difficult question. And I would say I love the camaraderie between Teddy mm-hmm. and Ivy. I feel like you almost need the two of them because mm-hmm. they bring out the best in each other. Yes. Sometimes they bring out the worst in each right. other. But ultimately, they they work as a team so mm-hmm. well. And you know, for I, Ivy's my favorite heroine that I've uh-huh. written. I relate yes. to her on so many levels. She's this 13-year-old girl in between childhood mm-hmm. and maturity. She doesn't quite know, you know, yeah. how how to work that out. She's a little bit awkward. She just knows that she'd rather be having adventures mm-hmm. in the woods than wearing high heels and, you know, yeah. lipstick. And I'm totally was her as a 13-year-old. <laughs> Still am in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but she has also this desperate urge to prove herself, mm-hmm. to do something meaningful and heroic. And Teddy comes in as this very witty, worldly wise, but also very yeah. kind and considerate yeah. person. And so they just they just hit it off. And yeah, I think their teamwork and them together yeah. is, is my favorite duo. Right. But I do. I love all of the I know. kids too. I know. I loved them all. Little Esme was sweet. We have we have some friends who named their little girl Esme. And I, I just love that name. Oh. I also love the process of naming characters. I'm fascinated by names. If Yeah, Mez knows this. If you know me, I just, I love names. I love the meaning of names and picking out names. Where did the names for your characters come from? What And what is that process like? I agree. Names are crucial. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a name just pops into your head right. and you think, yes, that embodies this character so well. I would say a lot of my characters for this story particularly come again from histor- historical yeah. you know documents or people that I've talked to and just one example of that that I think is fun so Ivy and her little brother Kenny yeah are named after my husband's grandfather Kenneth oh. Kenny and his sister Ivy and so the stories that he would tell us about his child and he was a child during the start of the oh, war okay. as well so he yeah. told us some just hilarious fantastic stories from his childhood and he would talk about how he little Kenny would pull his sister Ivy's pigtails at the (laughs) breakfast table and they would just constantly be at each other you know in that sibling loving Mm -hmm. kind of way and his grand no his mother sorry um, was this fearsome Irish woman and if you've read the book there's a scene where grandmammy Kennedy Mm -hmm. the Briscoe's grandmother has just had enough she's fierce Kenny and Ivy (laughs) picking at each other and she has a, a chopping knife in her hand and she turns around and she flings the knife at mm-hmm. the wall and it pings into the wall behind Kenny's head. That is a true story. Oh my goodness. If you can believe it. Yeah. At least according to my husband's grandfather. So his mother was the inspiration for Grandma oh Kennedy and she literally threw a knife, a carving knife at his head. Oh 
<laughs> so those stories um, yeah. obviously really fed my imagination. Yeah. And I think the the siblingship between Ivy and, and Kenny yeah. um, was really inspired by that. So I, I named them after them. That is just so interesting <laughs> to know that. I love those behind the scenes things. It just, it makes the the story richer and just feels more alive. So that's wonderful. Easier to write. Too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what role does history play in your books? And why did, I think we talked a little bit about it, but why did you choose to set this during World War II? Mm, I just, I love history. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know where to begin to talk about my love mm -hmm. for history. I feel like every time you take the lid off of history, yeah. it surprises you. There's just this wealth of stories that are stranger than fiction, yeah. of characters and events that you could never come up with. Mm -hmm. And so as a writer, it's just this rich pool to draw mm -hmm. from. And I've mentioned that World War II in particular, I just think is, mm -hmm. is this incredibly rich, fertile ground of, mm -hmm. of story and anecdote and heroism yeah. and sometimes, you know, humanity at its best. And so I, I wanted to write a story set in that era. But history, so I, I write a lot of historic fiction. In fact, mm -hmm. every novel I've written, I would call to yeah. some extent historic yeah. fiction. And it is so important for me to create books that give young readers an immersive experience mm -hmm. in history. When I hear children say that history is boring, I know it wounds my heart. And yes. I just think, if history is boring, something is not right. Some mm -hmm. history is not being taught right. correctly. It should never be boring. It is mm -mm. stories. Yes. And every child on some level loves stories. Yes, exactly. So I think writing historic fiction, you know, the calling to do that is largely in a hope of reviving mm -hmm. a love of history, the excitement yeah. of history, and giving that immersive historical experience mm. to children through the medium of story. That's wonderful. As a, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but as a child, I loved to read history books <laughs> and I would go to the library and I, I was fascinated by the Kings and Queens of England. So I'd go to the library and check out books about them because I was a very nosy child and just loved to read about all the scandal that the, <laughs> the Kings and Queens went through. It's better than a yeah. tabloid. <laughs> it really was. So yeah, that I just, I love that. I love that passion that you have for history. I think it's wonderful. And I think it's so needed for children, oh, especially now. Absolutely. Um, I love that, that. And I hope this isn't giving too much away. I love that the children in the book get to be spies. I, this is something I would have loved as a child. I don't know if you read Harriet the Spy as a little girl. Yes. I did, and I probably spied on my neighbors more oh, yeah. than they were comfortable with. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I love that the main characters get, or the characters in the book get this opportunity. And how much fun was that part to write? And why do you think the idea of being a spy appeals so much to children? That's a great question. And I feel like it's not just children, but mm -hmm. it's still appeals yeah, I know. as an adult. Know. You know, spy yeah, movies are, and books are, are huge bestsellers for adults too. So it seems as if there's something in our nature mm -hmm. that just makes us long to be part of a secret mission, right? to be in the know, you know, yeah. to be under undercover. And I, yeah, I, I certainly was with you there with yeah. my little spy notebooks yes. as a kid and <laughs> writing down every little thing I saw just in hopes that yeah. I would discover this amazing, you know, epic mystery and yes. be in on it. So it was so much fun to write, to discover that this is a true story, that these mm -hmm. children really were called by the British government to participate in a spy outfit. They really 
had secret codes that they had to crack. They had dangerous missions. They could have faced the Nazis and faced, you know, the ultimate price. Right. And so they were willing to do that. And the bravery is just astounding to it me, is. but it's also so exciting. Yes. Um, they had underground bunkers and, you know, wireless radios strung through the trunks of trees and everything that we dream about as kids. Oh, so yeah, the fact that there was there was fact to that, I thought this has to be made. It has to into a book. It, it's, I'm just so glad that you did. It had to, <laughs> it not has to. to. It had to. I'm so glad that you did that because it just it. I wasn't aware of this part of history, and Almost I just no love one it. Is. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you brought this out because it is just like I keep saying, it's just absolutely fascinating, and it's just like I said, it just has that appeals to that desire that we have to be spies yes yes i'm i've yet to meet anyone who doesn't want to be a spy <laughs> and i think you made an important point which is that this is a bit of history that is almost completely unknown and that's mm -hmm. because these children had to sign the official secrets act and many of them went to their graves and never spoke about it sama's grandparents finally showed their grandchildren their underground bunkers which is why the story starts with ivy as a grandmother right. finally telling her story for the first time so that was a huge push too yeah. to write this bit of history that otherwise could be entirely lost because oh no goodness. one is talking about it. Right. So how long does the Official Secrets Act last? Was that for their lifetime? Or? It was lifted, I want to say, in the 1970s. Okay. I, don't quote me on that, but it was many years post-war that they oh finally lifted that. But it it almost becomes a habit. When right. you kept a secret that but long, a lot then, of people keep, yeah. keep keeping it. So would they have been able to talk about it to someone who had been in it as well? Or are they just not supposed to talk about it at all? So I know... So there's the special operations executive, and that okay. was the whole operation, um, the British resistance, and also mm -hmm. another kind of sabotage uh, domestic army that was prepared to take on the Nazis. And they all had to sign the Secrets Act. Okay. Um, but when it lifted, they were allowed to get together as a group and sort of okay. share memories and, you know, anecdotes and, yeah. and laugh about it, right. you know, and cry about it. And so... There was some camaraderie that was allowed yeah. to happen for a lot of these people who had That's, who had carried this stuff on I their know. own shoulders for just decades. That would be so hard to carry a secret like that and not be able to share it. Oh, I know. Especially after the war's over. And, right. Right. I oh, know. my goodness. What a story to not yeah. be able to tell. I know. Exactly. <laughs> so how do you go about researching the book? I usually try because it's so important for me to create that immersive experience. Mm -hmm. I want I want my reader to know what a time and a place smells like and tastes yeah. like and sounds like and feels like. And so it's so important for me to do my homework by mm -hmm. immersing myself as much as possible. So I make a point of going to locations to to talking to, you know, real life people when right. possible. Luckily enough, I was still living in the UK while I was researching okay. this book. And so I was able to go to Coles Hill House, oh. which is the secret headquarters of the special operations executive. You can still visit today. The house burnt down. Okay. But the land is still there. And I think it's I think it's National Trust that receives it. And I had two wonderful men who are experts in all things yeah. World War II, and particularly the SOE, who were just tremendous help to me. Yeah. Wonderful accountability, wonderful just sources of information. And they hosted me on my visit to Coles Hill House. And if you ever get to go to oh, the Oxfordshire area, yeah. go and visit it. I got to go into a an actual substation 
where you know they still had the wireless set yeah. up and the tree wire you know wires going up the tree oh, and the the secret hatch that you could only find if you knew where to look for it and they had dead letter drops scattered oh. around the property so you could see what they actually look like and codes to crack and so it was this wonderful i felt like a child you know yeah. getting to kind of live out my fantasy of living out the book i'm writing and it was a wonderful experience so i i drew a lot from that but in addition to that i obviously talked to people who mm. had memories to yeah. share I listened to recordings. I read old diaries. I took many trips to the Imperial War Museum. Mm. They have a whole section on on spy and espionage Ooh. in World War II. It's phenomenal. So, oh, it was a wonderful experience. The research was just absolutely the best. I I wish I could do it all over again. Oh yeah. It was, so it was, was it your favorite book to research so far? I would say it was. Okay. I would say so. Yeah. It was. It was just an adventure. It's, Doing those kind of things, you think, I just have the best job in the world. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so was there some interesting bit of history that surprised you while researching the book? It wasn't something that I didn't know, but it just struck, it struck me afresh how young mm -hmm. the people who essentially were running this war were. Mm. The soldiers, you know, the officers, mm. the, the men and women who went to serve in the military yeah were some of them in high school, some of them yeah. fresh out of high school, really just leaving childhood and yeah. bearing this enormous burden of responsibility mm -hmm. and sacrifice and doing it with, you know, hearty good humor yeah. and willingness and heroism yeah. and, you know, their families making that sacrifice. And I think it just really struck me and gave me kind of pause for concern mm -hmm. as I thought, you know, would would our generation of young people be up to mm -hmm. that call, be up to that task. And that's part of the reason why I feel like telling these stories is so mm -hmm. important, if nothing else, to inspire yes. a modern generation mm -hmm. to, to acts of heroism and sacrifice mm -hmm. and to see that, mm -hmm. you know, people their age have gone before them and done mm -hmm. incredible things and changed history. Yes. And you, re you really bring that out. I mean, of course, with the main characters, but also her sister, their older sister in the Briscoe family, Vera, is yes, it Vera? It is. Mm -hmm. She is recruited mm -hmm. to go and help. And she's what, all of 16? She's 16. 16. <laughs> 16 going on 30. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How did you go about deciding what, which research to use for the book and which to discard? I'm sure that wasn't an easy decision. No. And I can't imagine having to make that. <laughs> it's never an easy decision. And it is important to make the cut because right. the last thing you want to do as a historic fiction writer is to what they call in the industry, show your research, which yeah. is basically when a writer tries to pack in all the facts mm -hmm. and show how much work they've done and how yeah. much research and it just kills a story. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to do that. I wanted the story to really mm -hmm. prevail and mm -hmm. the history to just be that immersive setting. And so I, I was a little bit sneaky and getting in a lot of it. There's so many good anecdotes yeah. and, and real people from history that I wanted to include. So I I basically used the family to consolidate mm. a lot of those stories. So I get to represent so many different aspects and perspectives of the war through the different members mm -hmm. of the family and, you know, the evacuees yes. as well. So I had, you know, the WAF, Vera becomes a WAF and the RAF pilot and mm -hmm. Ernie and even the German perspective gets mm -hmm. to come in. And, but it all revolves around this small world, mm -hmm. the small village of Fernie Hill. So I, yeah, I was, I was grateful that I was, be, I was able to touch on so mm -hmm. many different stories that mm -hmm. way. Was there anything that you, that you did cut that you've, you've thought about using for another book? 
Not so much something I've cut, but I suppose in the research, there was a lot of continuation. So the children mm -hmm. and the young people who were recruited as spies yeah. were often used in the future by the wow. government who felt that they could rely on these these young wow. people and they went on to do other missions. And so I have thought, well, it could be fun to kind of right. continue the story and see what happened afterwards. And the book ends fairly early in the yeah. war days. Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot of wartime you know, fodder right. that could be used. Oh. So yeah, I would love to write another book in the era, but we we shall see. Yeah. Well I I hope. I hope your fans want want more. <laughs> <laughs> what was the hardest scene for you to write? I would have to say the scene, and I want to talk about this without giving away too yeah. much. It could be a bit of a spoiler, but the scene where Ivy confronts who she thinks is her enemy. Mm -hmm. And whether it is or not is for the reader to find out. But it's essentially, she confronts mm -hmm. a German pilot mm -hmm. in her village. And it's right after she's experienced mm -hmm. some heavy loss. Mm -hmm. And she's angry mm -hmm. and passionate. And she feels like all she wants in the world is revenge mm -hmm. on this mm -hmm. man. And so that was difficult for me because I had to really get in Ivy's head. And it, it was tumultuous. And I really felt for her in that place of just the desperation to do something to make a difficult situation right mm -hmm. and she thought the way to do that was was through revenge and then she's confronted by this person and it's not what she thought and I think that was difficult for me because I didn't know Ernst I didn't know this pilot going into that scene he was the one character who was a bit of a mystery mm. to me and so I felt like I was with Ivy meeting him for the first time he kind of took me for by surprise and their interaction was not at all planned. It was something that that really came out as I wrote, that really kind of presented itself to me. So it was difficult in one way because it was, you know, it was tumultuous. But in another way, it was it was just given to me. Mm. And the whole book was like that. It was mm. just one of those books that was wonderfully easy to write that just felt like the next step was always laid out for me. And I'm that's not always the case yeah. by any means. So I was very grateful for that. Well, I can tell you as a reader who has read that scene, you captured the emotion. It was, I don't want to give too much away, but that part, especially just what you did about re with it, about revenge and bitterness. And, and again, it, including loss, it, it wasn't just a small petty thing. It was a very deep thing. It was just, uh, it was very, very well done. It really it really drew the reader in. I I felt the emotion myself. Oh, so it was excellent. It was so well done. I, I was immersed in the story. And I know my I keep talking mentioning my mom because we read it at the same time. My mom was as well. It was it was one. It's a wonderful scene. Please do. I mean, really, I, I keep saying this. Please read the book because you will love that scene as well. I just know it. You'll know what we're talking about. When you, <laughs> I don't want to give it away. It. I know. <laughs> Along the line, we were talking a little bit, you were right about writing the scene. What is your process like for writing? Is it the same for every book? You kind of touched on this or does it vary? And do you always start with research or do you start with the idea? I suppose there's always, so what's always the same? There's right. always a seed of an idea. Mm -hmm. With this one, it was that one little right. vague memory that my husband mentioned. There's always that seed and then begins the research. And I feel like 
research is such a misnomer. It sounds mm. so dry and clinical. <laughs> a better word for it is adventure. Because yes, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I tell that to every every kid group that I talk to at schools right. and whatnot. That is when you get to go out and become the explorer, the discoverer, yeah. the detective, and you start, you know, looking for clues to fill in the blanks of your story. And then the characters for me start to emerge and scenes start to present themselves across your imagination. And you just start putting the pieces together and then asking questions to fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. And I just love that process. Mm -hmm. I would, I will say every book is different. So there's no formula, mm -hmm. I think that you can follow, you know, mm -hmm. as a surefire way to write your book in 20 days or anything like that. I think every book is a sort of a wild thing and mm -hmm. it has to be in some sense tamed and you have to get to know it and cultivate it. And so it's, it's I imagine kind of like raising children, you know, no two yeah. children are going to follow the exact same process of raising. And so it's always different and some are harder and some are easier, but certainly the research is always the starting mm -hmm. point. And then yeah, filling in those blanks and then eventually sitting down and, and I'm, I am a plotter. So I have a story arc. I know where I'm going, but not too particularly mm. because I like to leave room for discovery for, mm. as Madeline Langle says, you know, for, to kind of obey the work and let the story tell itself and not be a control freak when it comes to plot, mm -hmm. because it's good to be surprised like that scene with Ernst that I just yeah. mentioned. And sometimes the best scenes are the scenes that, that take you by surprise. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I try to I try to leave a lot of wiggle room and yeah. flexibility for the story to surprise me like that. I'm so glad you said that because when you can tell when a book has has a formula and it has no life to it, yes. and it's just as a reader, it is not fun to read that kind of book. It just it just does not work. And I love how you said their books are a wild thing when you're writing them. That's just so I love that. It just that's so. <laughs> That's so interesting. It's so true. And so much more enjoyable exactly. to write that way. Yes. Than just to follow, to plug and chug. <laughs> right. And I love that you said it's like detective work because mm. I've mentioned many times on the podcast how much I love mysteries and detective fiction. So that oh, just, yeah. it just sounds, it sounds so fun and fascinating. It is. It's hard work, but it's, it's yeah. wonderfully exciting work at the same yeah. time. Good work. It is good work. It's good work. What is your favorite part? about writing a new book and what is your least favorite part i think they're both the same okay i love the start of a new book because it's it's like you're setting out on an adventure mm -hmm. you know it's the kind of shiny new mm -hmm. this road stretching out in front of you and it's exciting and you don't know where it's going to mm -hmm. take you and so there's that thrill but that is also the hardest part sometimes mm -hmm. for me because it can also feel like this mountain looming mm -hmm. up in front of you and i I think I'm not, the, I've heard other authors say this as well, but it's funny how every time, no matter how many books you've written, and I've not written tons, but mm -hmm. enough that you would think I would have some confidence, but no, every new book <laughs> is this terrifying mountain. And you just think, am I going to know what to, you know, right. do I know how to do this? Am I going to be able to write it? Is it going to conquer me? And so there's always that doubt and that fear at the start of every new project and that's a good thing because when you do just jump in, just take the next step and the next step after that, and eventually you find that you've overcome that mountain. It's so rewarding and so encouraging until the next one. Yeah. <laughs> you repeat it all over again. <laughs> yes. What were your favorite books from childhood? Did they play a part in shaping your books and you as a writer? So if you know my story at all. I've spent the better part of the last 
12 years in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I say that as a disclaimer because the stories that I loved as a child were set in the UK. They were the English authors. Me too. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. Kindred spirits. <laughs> yes. So not only did they shape my writing, but they very much shaped the the out- unfolding of my life mm-hmm. and the way that that's gone. But I was, you know, early days, I was a, a great fan of Winnie the Pooh and mm-hmm. Wind in the Willows. And then I sort of jumped very quickly into the classics. I did. I loved Anna Green Gables and mm-hmm. Little Women and then sort of launched off of those into Jane Austen mm-hmm. and, oh, of course, Narnia. Have to yes. Put that in there. Yeah. And Dickens and Tolkien and you know, all the wonderful classics. And so I kind of, I was a bit of a snob. I didn't have a lot of time for modern literature. Or YA. I was the same as, I was the same. <laughs> I just thought, why would I waste my time? There are all these amazing books who have yeah. stood the test of time. But I just, and I, I think it makes sense though, because I loved being transported to other worlds, be it worlds of the past into mm-hmm. to history, into Jane Austen's world or mm-hmm. to Narnia. Just mm-hmm. the book was the portal to all these other places. I didn't want to read about necessarily my world, you know, where yeah. I already lived. I wanted to, to go somewhere else. I wanted to travel. And so certainly those books have shaped the way that I write. I think also I'd say the books that you read as a child, they are the books that create your imagination's landscape. Mm. And that's so important because that's why we always go back to those books mm. and, and we remember them and they really they really form us. They really do. And that's why I consider writing for children such a high calling, because mm-hmm. it is a responsibility to give good stories that are going to shape that imagination well, that are going to help children find that identity and that place in the world and realize that there is a good story for them, mm. a meaningful one. And yeah, the books that I read certainly did that. And I, I hope that I can write books that, that do that for, for new readers. Well, I, I, I say that you do. Well, thank you. <laughs> As a <Courage>. reader. <laughs> and in that same vein, who are your biggest writing influences now? I think they're largely the same. Mm-hmm. And because of that reason, I just mentioned that mm-hmm. the books that you read as, as children are the ones mm-hmm. that are so, so forming mm-hmm. of your imagination. And so I, I feel like I still fall back on Lewis and Tolkien and Jane Austen. You know, when I write, they're the ones who formed my author's voice because those are the writers that I admired and that I read, you know, drank, ate and slept <laughs> on all of, all of their words and, you know, their, their language and their the worlds that they built. And so those still, I feel like are, are the threads of, of my, my writing identity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And along that line, just doing the podcast, I know from myself, I've gone back to those stories that I, the first stories that I read as a child, it's just, and even now with everything that's gone on in the world and all the unrest and just the, just everything that's been going on. I have found myself going back to the old familiar books, that comfort, the truth of them, mm-hmm. just the the goodness of those books. So yeah, I, I agree. There's just something about them that they just, they draw you back. They, they've shaped you and they keep on, you keep learning from them. You keep discovering new things about them so yes exactly I mean just as a reader those this is it's kind of the same <laughs> yeah yeah they're they're just yeah there's they're this kind of never-ending well mm. oh yeah <laughs> just every a, age yeah exactly what advice would you give aspiring writers there's so many things I could say but I think the number one advice that 
that aspiring writers need right now is to unplug. Oh, you could spend all your time 24 seven looking up writing advice mm -hmm. online and you would never write a word and your brain would be overwhelmed and you would just mm -hmm. give up the whole thing. But I think when you get off your screen, unplug, you know, from your phone, your iPad, and you step outside and you start to explore and whether you're a child or an adult, wherever you are in life, if you let your child's mind take over and do what children are so good at and start just looking closely at nature, at flowers, at plants, at you know, a burbling creek, and you start wondering at it and asking questions and, oh, questions are so important. And I would say, and I tell all my young writing students this, ask the question, what if, at least once a day, because it's, it's the beginning of every story. Mm -hmm. What if you never know where it's going to take you? So ask that once a day and explore the answers, see where it takes you. You know, what if that hole in that tree was a door to another world? You just there's there's no end <laughs> to the stories you could discover that way. So use use your imagination. Let those imagination muscles stretch and strengthen because they do get rusty mm -hmm. if you don't use them. So I think that's that's the best starting place. Mm. The best advice I can give. I love that because I have found that in my own life, getting out in nature, my daughter wants to be outside all the time in the morning. I mean, I think if she could, she would be outside all the time. Nature girl. I mean, she is. She is a nature child. <laughs> and I will find myself when I'm just outside with her. I do. I notice things more. Yes. I will also, if, if there's been like a podcast or something, I'm trying to figure out what, what I want the theme of the podcast to be about. A lot of times any kind of trouble I'm having, something I'm trying to work through a, along with it kind of comes to me when I'm out yeah. side and I'm, I'm just allowing my mind to wander. So yeah, I, 100%. I, yeah, I love that you brought that out. What are you working on now? Books or any other special projects? There are a lot of, a lot of things in the works slowly, but surely. So I am working on the next of the Katie Watson books. Mm -hmm. Katie Watson four is, is definitely underway. And I've also been teaching a writing masterclass for young authors. So I've taught that um, to homeschool groups, to school groups. I just had a book launch with one group, local school, which was just brilliant. That's been a lot of fun. I'm also recording audiobooks for some of my novels, including Churchill's Socks. So Wonderful. stay tuned for that. Um, and a little piece of news is that I'm planning kind of in the, the thinking phases of a podcast of my own. So I have lots to learn from you, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to give help any way I can. With the masterclass, if someone was interested in taking that, how would they just contact you? If like a homeschool group or something? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So if you visit my uh, webpage, mesbloom.com, mm -hmm. go to the events tab and okay. you can contact me directly through there. And yeah, I'll, I can send all the necessary information, but very happy to, to plan a masterclass with you if that's something you're interested in or your group is interested in. And how big or how small does the group need to be? I can be flexible. I, I mean, I like working with smaller. So the last one was 28 okay. children between the ages of fourth grade to sixth grade. Previous to that, I was with a homeschool group of six girls who were high schoolers. Okay. So the, the material can really be adapted to ages, okay. to sizes of group. And I, I like a variety. So. Oh, <laughs> so I'm just so glad that you do that. I think that's a wonderful thing to offer oh, to I children. It. It's so exciting. 
Before we go, I wanted to do a quick round of some literary questions. What is the best book you've read in the last year? Well, as it so (laughs) happens, Beth, (laughs) this is a book that you brought me when I was sick with COVID. And, oh, it just ministered to me. It's The Scent of Water by Elizabeth Googe. Mm. And I'd been wanting to read Googe. You had so highly recommended her. And I just hadn't got around to it yet. And he brought me that book. And I'm telling you, it was just, it did not disappoint. It was so healing and just hope restoring and exactly what I needed in that place. And so I, if you haven't read The Scent of Water, go and read it. If you're in a difficult place, if you're soul weary, go and read it. It will, it will definitely minister to you. And I am having that. I'm going to be featuring that on the podcast coming soon. Hooray. Yeah. It's such, it is like Mess said, it is, it is one of my all-time favorite books. It's it's just, it's wonderful. Elizabeth Gooch, she's one of my favorite authors of all time. <laughs> she's great. Yeah, she's great. What is your favorite book of all time? I cannot pick just one. You know, I can't pick <laughs> one book of all time. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to narrow it down, I will say Surprised by Joy by C.S. Lewis. He's a hero of mine and that's his story. And so I just, I love the intimacy of getting to go inside one of my heroes' minds and histories and understand how he became the man that he is. And so, yeah, I I love that one, but it's so hard to say. I know. What are some other ones? Well, obviously I'm not very original. So Pride and Prejudice. Right. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Obvious choices. I know know. you haven't read Lord of the Rings yet. You admitted that on on another episode, but... (laughs) But the day will come. You know yes. the story well yes, enough to know I how do. good it is. And I we I have it on, I think I said audio and a hard copy. So I need to you'll you get to there. get on that. You'll get there. What is a book that you haven't read, but you've always meant to read? There are lots of those too, because if you know me, you know I'm a notoriously slow reader. I love to read. I'm a slow reader too. It takes a lot. There are lots of books sitting on Mm -hmm. that to read list, just Mm -hmm. pining away, waiting for their day. But the one that came to mind is, so I read the first of Lewis's space trilogy. Okay. Out of the silent planet. Mm -hmm. And then for some reason, I didn't get around to reading the other two. Oh, really? But I would love to. Yeah. Obviously I love Lewis and I I just have a feeling from what I've heard of those books Mm -hmm. that they will be incredibly important to me Mm -hmm. as a reader and a writer. Mm -hmm. And I know that, that um, I think out of, I think this yeah. hideous strength mm-hmm. was his favorite that he wrote. Oh, so oh. I've, I've got to get around to those. Right. So I think I might've mentioned this a little bit on the episode with Sophie, that those books, the space trilogy were very instrumental in my life when I was in Switzerland and they really, I have to credit them and a few others with bringing me back to fiction. Wow. I've, I've, God used them to <laughs> bring me back to fiction and it was life changing. So when you get a chance to read them, I at some point I want to. I I've talked to my husband. I want to have him on too. And I've thrown around a couple of books, and I I've mentioned one of the space trilogy is maybe sitting down and talking with him about because he read that hideous strength and Atlas Shrugged around the same time, and he said they're very similar hmm. books. And I've not I haven't read Atlas Shrugged, but it, I just thought that was interesting. So I, I might if I can persuade him. I might have him on to talk to talk about one of those. But yeah, I highly, highly recommend them. They're excellent. That makes me want to get to it all the sooner. (laughs) They've meant so much to you. If you could invite any author or literary character to dinner, who would it be 
And I think, as I said to Sophie, three to five people or characters, you can do a combination of people and characters or authors and characters. And what would you serve? Okay. So again, <laughs> I'm not the most original here, but let's face it. The, you know, these, these three that I have in mind are just simply some yeah. of the best. So I would have Jane Austen, mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis, and J.R.R. Tolkien. And I would serve a high tea with a very large, never-ending teapot because I know at least myself and Lewis have a, a capacity for drinking large amounts of tea. Yes. And then I would, and you said I could have up to five, but if right. I could have up to six and I would invite each one of them to bring a plus one, which would be their favorite character from their books. So oh. maybe you could end up with, you know, Elizabeth Bennet and yes. Puddle Glum and, you know, Frodo or Gandalf yeah. or who knows, which I just think would be such a fun party. Oh, it would be, I want to be invited. <laughs> Do you have any book recommendations to share? I do. I would say I recently, when I was sick, I also read Adventures with Waffles, which is a newer book. And I don't I haven't read a lot heard of that one. It's so sweet. It's by uh, Maria Parr. It's actually okay. a Norwegian book that's been translated. And it's just the story of two children. It's told from a child's perspective and their sort of antics that they get up to. But it's it's just sweet and touching and, and lovely and takes you on that you know little trip to Norway and a different lifestyle and I just really enjoyed it and then another one that I have loved this year both the the BBC television television yeah and the books have been the all creatures great and small all things bright and beautiful the James Harriet collection Mm -hmm. they are just I feel like they're just what we need at this time in history Mm -hmm. when there's just so much weight and and burden and news and they're just so full of humor and beauty and they just transport you to this past world of the beautiful Yorkshire Dales and a simpler time and if you want to laugh and occasionally cry but just get a breath of fresh farm air yeah I highly recommend the James Harriet books and I probably again will do all creatures I'm hoping to at some point because another again it was another book that was really important to my childhood and even as I got older. So look for that. And I'm going to go look up Adventures with Waffles. I might have to buy a copy. Just I'm going to go off your recommendation and go for it. (laughs) I hope you'll love it. I I know I will. If you recommend it, I will love it. Last question. Where can people find you online? The best place to find me is my website, which is www.mezblume.com. And I am on social media. I will be honest and say I don't spend a lot of time there. I'm not a big a big social media girl, but you can find out about me, my books, my events, contact mm-hmm. me, pretty much anything you need. You can find at my website. So that would be your best bet. Great. Well, thank you, Mez, so much for being here. It is I always love to sit down and talk with Mez. She's just so gracious and so kind and just so lovely. And this has been an absolute delight. So thank you again so much. And I hope that we will have, I'll have you on here again. She may be making another appearance when we talk about Wuthering Heights. So thank you again, Ms. Thank you so much, Beth. I feel like I can tick off one of my bucket list items today. (laughs) It's been wonderful. It has been a delight. Thank you so much. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back soon with a new episode. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at wellreadbeth. Until next time. Thank you.